The title of the message is, It's More Political Than You May Think. It's more political than you may think. Life is more political than you may think. Actually, being a Christian is more political than you may think. A little subtitle, Being a Citizen of the Kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're being ordered around? You know, I don't know, maybe even you wake up in the morning and there's this invisible bully there. You know, like this invisible sergeant. And it's like, get up. Get up and do what? Get up and give me some jumping jacks, you know? And I want you to give me 20 jumping jacks of anxiety. You know? I mean, look, I want you to focus on your problems. And it's like, and as soon as you get up, I want you to be thinking about your problems. Get your eyes on your problems. I mean, don't think about the Lord. Don't think about His promises. Don't think about that He's a God of redemption. Don't think about that He's working out all things for the good to those who love God and call according to your purpose. But you know what? Look, I'm ordering you. You know, I want you to think about things that just, you know, pull you down, that bring a bunch of anxiety into your life. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like there's this invisible sergeant that is like, give me another 20 jumping jacks of polluting thoughts or self-defeating habits. Just keep making the same stupid mistake over and over and over again. Or give me, you know, 20 jumping jacks of regrets in your life or even disbelief. Look, if you can relate to that, it has more to do with your politics than you may think. You say, what are you talking about? Like Democrat, Republican type of politics? Like CNN versus Fox or MSNBC? No. If you look back at verse 19, very important, check it out. Paul contrasts actually two individuals, two types of people. And the truth of the matter is, in this place this morning, we're either one of these individuals. We are either citizens or we're non-citizens. He says, foreigners, strangers. And in Philippians 3.20, the word citizenship is used, and I think we have it up on the screen. It reads, our citizenship, actually the Greek word for citizenship is polythemo, our citizenship is in heaven. That Greek word for citizenship is a, a word we get, our word, politics. Now, is this telling us that when Christ comes into our lives, that our politics change? Absolutely. But again, I'm not talking about so much a Democratic versus a Republican type of a thing. Look, when one is a citizen of heaven, there's a redefinition of power in one's life. You know, politics have to do with influence. Politics have to do with power. Generally, organized power and influence. But when you become a citizen of heaven, okay, it's a different type of politic. You have a redefinition of power in one's life. You know, remember Jesus said, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. How many of you remember that he said that, right? So, hey, nothing wrong with being great, but let me just redefine what greatness looks like. And so, when we become a Christian, when Christ comes into our life, when we become a citizen of heaven, there's this redefinition of power in our life and our identity and what our values are and what our allegiance is, even our legality. Listen, being a Christian is a very legal thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
Hey, our access changes. Now we have access to (laughs) the most powerful being in the entire universe. Our purpose changes. The government really changes. The way we view government, Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, given, and the government will be on his shoulders. This is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah. Look, go back to that sergeant bully idea for a second. Okay, Can you relate to sometimes, do you feel like your life is being ordered by some type of outside influence? I'm not trying to imply it's always the devil or something, but do you ever feel like, my goodness gracious, I feel so pressed. I feel so pressed by the circumstances or these ideas, or it's like, you know, give me those jumping jacks of anxiety and regret. Does anyone ever feel that way? I'm sure we all can relate to that. Here's what I want to draw. That's not the thinking of a citizen who has rights and a particular authority and access to Almighty God. That's the thinking of a foreigner, actually. That's the thinking of a slave. Someone who's isolated. Someone who is disenfranchised. Look, how many of you have ever been to a foreign land? I'm curious. Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, you know, sometimes it can be fantastic. You visit a foreign land. Um, But when you visit a foreign land, you know, sometimes it comes with a different language. comes with different culture and customs. And, And listen, you feel... You feel fragmented. You don't feel, oh man, I don't, I don't feel like I fit here. I, I'm not a, about the, the energy or the rhythm. I, I'm disenfranchised. I'm disconnected from the whole. I, I feel out of place. Let me tell you something. You know, years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India. Okay, I know this is going to sound a little wimpy. But you got to understand, I grew up in Southern California on soccer fields and baseball fields and football fields and going to 7-Eleven and stuff like that, right? And watching USC and UCLA football. So when I go to India, oh my goodness. It was a completely different world for sure. And, you know, I felt super isolated. And it was a long trip and I just felt like, man, I don't fit here whatsoever. Look, It's like a stranger, and this is what Paul is saying. Look, there was a time before we were a Christian that we were foreigners. We were strangers. Uh, We were not a part of the whole. It's like our life was in pieces. It was fragmented. You know, if you put a football team together, and you know, the football teams that are playing today are no strangers to each other. There's major integrity. You know, they are a part of something bigger than themselves. They have to be in order to succeed. I'm telling you, if you're a stranger to your teammates, you're not going to be successful. If you put a husband and wife together and they are strangers of one another, isolated, fragmented, not together, it's not going to work. You know, I'm thinking about that horrible incident in Paris, that terrorism and stuff, and, you know, the... Goodness, just unspeakable realities that were taking place this this last week. And then you saw that counterterrorism unit, you know, going into that Jewish deli and saying, hey, listen, they were well ordered. The communication was impeccable. It needed to be to be successful. And all the more, you see, if a human being is a stranger to God, disenfranchised, 
Okay? So it's like, you know, like fragmented, okay, isolated, disoriented, lack of coherence and cohesion. Life won't work as God intended. It's like living outside of the Creator's owner manual. We know this. This is important, though, to remind ourselves of. And yet, this is the way we are identified. Prior to knowing Christ, we are a stranger. We are isolated. Things just don't fit. We are in pieces. You know, it's interesting. The word for anxiety in the Greek, merima, literally means the state of being in pieces, fragmented, divided. Jesus said, have no anxiety about anything. But consider, you know, the lilies. Put your thinking cap on. Think about how God is provisional and faithful. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Like, don't live your life as if, you know, you are in pieces. <laughs> you, you, there, there lacks a cohesion and a confidence and a oneness with Almighty God. Here's the crazy thing. We live in a culture that promotes the idea Okay, I mean, if our kids go to school and they go to university, let me tell you, the, the ideas that are being promoted in their heads actually have all to do with this idea of being a stranger or a foreigner. It's true. It's like you're actually a foreigner and a stranger here on planet Earth. What are you talking about? Because there is no divine language of love and truth and justice to even know. There's nothing to really be a part of that is true that is genuine, that's authentic, that is just, that is love. There is no divine customs, so to speak, to embrace, nor divine laws to respect. If there's any king, it's like the random chemicals that determine our likes and dislikes and our attractions. The king is mindless nature. And yet deep down inside, we know, we know that, you know what, that's just not true because our soul is longing not, not to be a stranger, actually, but to be a citizen, if you will. To be a part of the whole. I read a story of a French scientist, a true story, had fallen in love with a woman. And what was most important to them was their career. So they decided not to get married, because if they got married, it would ruin one of their careers. So they thought it through, and they said, let's just not get married. And, you know, you know it's actually, the story's quite graphic. You know, they had biological hormonal needs, but it's like, well, we can live apart and do whatever and find, you know, fulfillment with other people and things. Oh, they did love each other, apparently. They were attracted to each other. Anyways, a couple of years go by, and you know what? They just found, like, it wasn't working by any stretch of the imagination, they were incredibly empty. They were unhappy. They finally decided to get back together and get married. Now, all of that to lead to this, this little excerpt I'm going to read from this French scientist who wrote to a pastor friend. I want you to listen to him carefully. He says, I don't know why it's so hard to live without a permanent commitment. He said, my scientific understanding of man is that we are the result of chance happenings in the universe. Our desires are the results of genes and instincts and hormones, so love is actually an illusion. But I never realized my ideas had drained life of its joy. My lover Francis and I cannot live on the basis of these views, even though we're sure they are correct. And then he said this, it's almost as if we don't understand who we are. Whoa. 
yeah, I don't think you do really understand who you are. I mean, the French atheist scientist guy, you know, you you were made to know Almighty God. You were not made to be on planet Earth like a foreigner, like a stranger. It's like, what are the customs? What is truth? What is love? What, how many of you are tracking so far with me? Raise your hand. Okay, good. I mean, that's just not how you were made whatsoever. Now, here's the thing. We're almost getting to our main application. <laughs> okay, the Lord is overwhelmingly passionate You guys, listen, overwhelmingly passionate to ensure that you know who you really are. That you have a clear understanding of what it is to be in Christ. And one of the ways, it's identified for us here, one of the ways, Paul actually mixes his metaphors. Not so sure his Hebrew teacher would be happy with it. But he mixes his metaphors. He talks about you're a citizen. He talks about how you are part of a household. He talks about you are like a temple where God is indwelling and stuff. We're going to get to those other things in the weeks to come. But what we want to focus in on is this idea of citizenship. Because it's huge in how it speaks to us. And that's what we're going to focus in on. And you know, I can understand why Paul uses the term and the idea of citizenship or being a citizen to communicate these incredible divine realities of what it is to be in Christ. Because Paul understood citizenship in, in a couple of different ways. He was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And Roman citizens had certain rights, legal rights. Okay, and he exercised those rights. And, and it kind of introduces us, and we're going to get to a little bit. Look, as a Christian, it's a, it's a legal issue in a lot of ways. It is. And we're going to draw this out. It's a very important you understand that. But he understood citizenship not only as a citizen of heaven, which has to do with now realities and future realities as well, but he understood what it was like to be a citizen of Rome. Let, Let me remind you of a few stories. You guys remember this, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas go into Philippi, which is like, you know, knocking on the door of the, like one of the main veins of the Roman Empire. It was a colony of Rome. And there's this gal there who was clearly demon-possessed and was being used by individuals for profit uh, to do magic tricks and all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff. And people were making money off of her and things. So Paul and Silas come into the city and th- this woman starts, no doubt, having some demonic personality speaking through her, bugging Paul and Silas. He turns around, basically says, shut up, you know, and, and delivers, it, by God's grace, it was a good thing, delivers this woman of just being oppressed and I think probably possessed by this unseen personality that was ruling her life. Well, it upset the people who were making a lot of money off of her. There was this, like, they responded, they reacted. It was like this big mob scene. Okay, I'm going to kind of speed up the story. They arrest Paul and Silas, throw him in prison. That's, this is the story when Paul and Silas are singing at midnight. You know, it's good to sing, you know, even in the middle of the night because it helps renew the old noggin. And they're praising God. There's an earthquake. You have the, the, the jailer who gets saved and things. Next day, long story short, I mean, 
they come to realize, my goodness, we arrested these guys. We have ill-treated these individuals without giving them a trial. And Paul draws attention to him. To it. You guys are blowing this big time. We are Roman citizens. You can't arrest us. You can't beat us without a trial. And they hadn't given him a trial. And it, it just freaked the leaders out there in Philippi. And they asked him, well, guys, we're so sorry. And please leave. Okay. I just want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul understood like the power of being a citizen. Another story, and you know this, and I'll just be kind of quick with it, Acts chapter 25, you have Paul who is before the leaders there in Caesarea. He's been arrested. They're atop the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Same kind of a scenario. I don't have time to get into it. Long story, Paul's not going to get a fair trial. So he's been arrested in Jerusalem. They take him down to Caesarea, try to isolate him, give him a fair trial, okay? And ultimately, long story short, he appeals, because he's a Roman citizen, this is kind of what I get to, he appeals to bring his case to the emperor himself. We're talking the emperor of Rome. Okay, now, here's a good segue. Because if you were a citizen of Rome, you had the legal right to take your case up the ladder to the most powerful man in the world at that particular time, which was the emperor of Rome. Okay, with that in mind, it leads us to our first point. Okay, we have it on the screen. A citizen of heaven, listen, has, what's the next word, you guys? Access to God. Look, your life is much more political than you might think, okay? And of course, we're talking about a redefinition of power. We're talking about a redefinition of values and purpose and authority. And you're not a stranger. You're not isolated. You're not alone. You're not disenfranchised. You're not a fragment of the whole. You're not a broken off piece. You are a citizen, and your citizenship is in Christ. And I'll tell you this plan of God that you would be in Christ has been around for a long time. And the roots of it are incredible. Look, in Christ, you are very unique because it goes all the way back to the Father choosing you before the creation of the world to be in Christ. And then he raised up Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to reveal himself two and three through, and ultimately the Messiah to bless the entire world, to take all of these fragmented pieces and all this crazy isolation, which we were never intended to live by, and to bring us into right relationship with the Lord. And look, here's the thing. There are two types of people in this room today. One are citizens of heaven, and the others are those who need to become a citizen of heaven. Here's what I want to do. I want to pose a question to each of you. First, to the one who's a foreigner, not yet a citizen. I'm going to tell you something. I remember when the gospel was explained to me, I was at a camp. That's why it's so important we support our kids and do what we can to get as many kids to camp as possible. And because I came to faith, I mean, it really, really gelled. My brother had been sharing the gospel with me, but there's really a fundamental decision at a camp. And I, 
I remember the teacher was explaining the gospel, kind of a long story short, a big group, round circle, and he had us turn our backs to him. He's kind of in the middle of the group and people all around him, and he had us turn our backs to him. And I happened to be on the outside of the group, so there was no one, you know, like when I turned my back, I didn't see anybody. I, mean, no, I was, felt like really, really isolated. And he just said, look, that's the state outside of Christ. You are separate from God. You know, dis- he didn't use the word disenfranchised. You're fragmented. You're in pieces. You're, you're a foreigner. You're a stranger. And I, I'll be frank with you. When he gave this illustration, there I was in the circle, and I, I did feel isolated. And I thought, my goodness, my back is to almighty God. Well, look, for some of you, that's the case. I mean, that's, that's presently where you're at, but what the Lord wants you to do is to turn around. He wants you to become a citizen. The question becomes, how do you become a citizen? Think about it. I mean, you're either born a citizen, like I was born in the United States, and I'm a citizen of the United States, or one applies for citizenship, right? Now, Obviously, this issue of citizenship is a big issue these days because you have all these people coming over the border and living in our country. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, hey, if I was living in Mexico and I had a family, I'd do my best to get my family here as well. I just have to say. And let's just remember you have, look, you have Abraham even during a time of famine who goes down to Egypt, a stranger who needs help, you know. I think we need to be very compassionate towards those immigrants or people who want to be citizens in our country. Here's the problem we have, right? The problem we have with it is that to become a citizen of the United States, it's like you don't become one on your own terms, right? There's a process to it. You need to apply. So we don't have a problem with people wanting to get into our country. Can I hear an amen to that, right? You know, it's a great country. No one said amen. Okay, we have no problem of people wanting to get into our country. The problem we have is people come to our country like on their own terms without going through the process. Are you guys tracking with me on that, right? And similarly, you see, in order to be a citizen, and Paul is just, Paul is just giving a before and after picture, and he's using these metaphors, right? We were strangers, we were foreigners, we were isolated. That's a flat-out fact, and we know it's the case. And then we became a citizen. Well, you're either born a citizen. Jesus said, you must be born again, or you apply for citizenship, And that means you come to God on his terms, not your own. And you know, you can do that this morning. He gives grace to the humble. The Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you do that this morning? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be a citizen. We will be saved. The Bible says Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And once you've done that, you become a legal citizen. And it's not based on your ethnicity or your education or your talent or your performance. It's like, no, you've gone through the right process, come to God on his terms, 
And then it becomes a legal thing. See, there's a big term in the Bible. I don't expect you to understand it if you're here for the first time, but it's the term justification. It's an awesome truth, but it's a legal term. And it, it says in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom also we have, can someone tell me the next word? Access. Ah, we're talking about access to the Lord himself. Well, that term justified means to be declared righteous. Or let me just paraphrase this. Like, okay, you're made a citizen. It's like, I don't even care where you've been. I don't care what country you've come. I don't, I don't care what mud pile you've been in in one way, shape, or form. Look, once you become a citizen, you have a new identity. You have new access. It's a whole new legality. You could say justification is just as if you never sinned. Isn't that good news, you guys? Hey, here's the other question. Church family, hear me. Are you taking advantage of the access to the Lord in prayer? I mean, is the Lord between you and your problems? Because if not, why not? I mean, do you not believe that the Lord hears you when you cry out to him? You know, the Bible says to acknowledge the Lord in all our ways and he'll direct our paths. Better translation is, look, keep first the first things. Go to the Lord, bring your burdens, call upon him. And, and you know what he'll do? He'll make your path straight rather than crooked and you find yourself down a lot of stupid dead ends. He'll make your path straight. That's what we want. Look, if you want God to help you, to direct your paths, to overcome the odds in any area of your life, you need to turn to him first. And you can write this down in your notes, but see prayer as a first thought, yes, even action, not a last resort. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? Not Colossians, but Hebrews 4.16 tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and we need to. And when we do in prayer and looking and calling upon the Lord, we're going to find grace to help in time of need. Please hear this. Listen very carefully. Okay? Who are you really? I'm telling you, you are a citizen. It's one way that identifies what it is to have right relationship with the Father in Christ. Just think about what a citizen means. Oh, you have incredible access. Now the question is, I mean, are you active actively, you know, working that incredible access that you have to the Lord because he wants you to. He wants you looking to him. The second thing is a citizen of heaven carries unique authority. Very unique authority. Again, your life is more political than you might think. I want you to go back to that thought about that bully, that unseen bully. You ever feel like, your life is being ordered around. Okay, now I believe there's a spiritual battle, there's no doubt about it, but he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We live in a broken world. The Bible says it's highly influenced by darkness, there's no doubt about it. We see it with cultural norms and values of relativism, sensualism, materialism, and so forth. But look, I want you to think that. Do you ever feel like, my goodness gracious, I, did, I do feel like this unseen bully, you know? Is there calling me to do these jumping jacks, expend energy on anxiety, spend energy on regret? 
Spend energy on disbelief, okay? Can you relate to that? Because I know, I know some of you may be feeling really demoralized. You know, by this, quote, invisible sergeant that's just ripping you off with crazy habits and fears and drives and desires. And maybe these things have been even holding you back for years. Here's the question. What are you going to do about them? Are you going to give up? Because you see, as a Christian, we've got to remember we're a citizen of heaven. So there is unique, actually, authority that God has given to us. How so? Sarah talked about it earlier. The Bible says that the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells us. It's like, it's awesome. There is a unique authority. We have the word of God, which is the truth of who he is and who we are in him. We have the spirit of God in our life. Now look, if you don't know that, and if you've kind of given up on yourself, you're not thinking like a citizen. You're thinking like a foreigner or even a slave. You want to stop that. Don't give up. You have access to Almighty God and you have unique authority as a citizen of heaven. And that means, listen, these crazy drives, these crazy fears, you know, these crazy habits and stuff. Look, now those are illegal aliens, if you will. They have no jurisdiction over your life. It's a foreign influence. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Good news, isn't it? Hey, look, let me give you some further perspective on how to grow in this authority. And I hope this is making sense. Look, life is a lot more political than you might think. And I'm not talking about American politics. I'm talking about being a citizen of heaven which has so much to do with the new identity, allegiance, values, purpose, access, power. Man, it's awesome. But it's important we have our minds renewed on a daily basis. It's true. The Bible says, 1 John 4, 4, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. How many of you believe that? It's true. And let me just say to a young believer or even a veteran, look, you need to be reading the scriptures on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't think it's primarily referring to uh, the word of God there, but Jesus said, man shall not live by, word, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. And James chapter one, verse 22 through 25, listen, the word of God, okay, is likened to a mirror, and basically, a mirror is three things. So, okay, the idea is like we need to be looking into it, right? The Bible's like a mirror. Okay, so we need to be looking into it. If you think about a mirror, it's basically three things. Okay, number one, it's outside of yourself. Okay, so it's not like look in on a daily basis. To go introspective. Okay, look into the mirror of God's word. So it's outside of you, so that's important. Number two, it identifies what is. And then it leads to making corrections and adjustments. As you can see, I didn't look in the mirror this morning. <laughs> Anyways, I know, it's pretty funny. Uh, you know, so it leads to making adjustments, right? 
So when this is not taking place, it kind of reminds me of some findings of a doctor uh, named Jan Suman, who published his findings on what happens when people get lost in a jungle or forest or, uh, you know, or a desert or something. And what he discovered was, unless there's specific means of determining direction, like of outside yourself, people end up walking in circles. Of course, it's been said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Have you ever been there? But the idea is like, like oh, here's the thing. We need that right compass. We need the truth, which is really outside ourselves. I mean, the Bible says, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one that recognizes, like a beggar, their need for the Lord, their need for help outside of themselves. point I'm just trying to make is this, that we need to be looking to the word of God like a mirror on a consistent basis, which renews our minds with regard to the authority and the position that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh man, that's so important. And let me just encourage you on something, okay? You talk about authority in the kingdom. If you're a citizen, God, right now in your life, he is overpowering. He is overwhelming troubles in your life. He promised that all things work to the to, for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Number three, jot this down, you guys. A citizen of heaven is an ambassador of Christ on planet earth. Let me just say this. I think this particular point has, has not really sunk in in the church today. I mean, this, this like, well, they're all really important. But this one breaks my heart because I'm convinced that this particular point has not sunk in in our hearts and our lives as a church. I'm not talking about necessarily ours, but like as a whole, as believers living in this generation in the last 50 years. An ambassador carries the idea of embodying a mission, has authority, brings a message, represents the king. The idea that we are citizens of heaven in this way, I don't think have even barely gotten off the ground in our generation. Here's what I'm talking about. A lot of times people think Christianity or being a citizen has to do with, you know, well, more like a social dynamic. It has to do with showing up to a meeting. That's really important. I'm so glad that you're here, you guys. Good job. But that's it. So it's merely inspiration. Or it's like a, just a country club. It's something to be a part of. You go there, and then when you leave, there's no real ramification with regard to your experiences, no importance to what you were just doing. When in reality, here's the reality. In Christ and as citizens of the kingdom on planet Earth, and you need to see yourself this way because this is who you are. You are an ambassador of, of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in this generation. That means he is in you and he is working through you. 
And that's critical that we understand that because there's a possibility that like, I don't even make myself available to that. Like I just walk out and I'm thinking, well, Christianity is like a social club. I gather, I get inspired and that's it. No, wait a second. There's a mission. We are ambassadors. It begins not only here, but it, it, it continues as we leave this place. Peter put it a little different way. Listen to this. He said, we're actually a holy nation. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. And the word for nation is ethnos. Very interesting. A Christian becomes a new ethnic group. A Christian is a counterculture that embodies the love of God. And, and it's like the kingdom of God. Like what does that mean? Um, his glory, justice, forgiveness, love. I mean, one of the surest ways you can experience heaven on earth is not only receiving God's forgiveness, but giving it to other people. We are a part of this ethnos. We are a part of this counterculture. Have you ever wondered why it's so important to even gather in times like this? One of the reasons is to encourage really the counterculture that we are all a part of, that the world desperately needs. You know, my son sent me this little excerpt. He was at a, at a um, retreat and stuff, and he was listening to, I'm going to call him a youth expert in America. You know, guys that are just really on the ground floor of what's taking place uh, among young people and in the church and things. So we'll call him a youth expert. You know, thinking about these things, how to reach kids, how to disciple kids and so forth and so on. Here's, here's one of the points he said was this. Look, okay, Christianity is a counterculture. So we're, <laughs> we're a holy nation. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, you got that? So drill. Now, if a kid, if a young person is not in, in a fellowship with other Christians on a weekly basis at the very least, the chances of them just being swallowed up by the currents of culture is super high. They have to see, they have to experience this counterculture with other Christians. Like, hey man, this is real. Oh, it is. I mean, listen, otherwise you're going to go out and live like a stranger, an isolated, a, a foreigner, fragmented. There's no customs, divine customs. There's no plan. It's like the king is mindless nature and you're a byproduct of it. It's like, really? And yet deep down inside, I'm longing for permanence and righteousness and truth and love. Oh man, I thank the Lord for him. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful he came down and ran us down by his incredible love. Here's the thing, please hear me. Most Christians, most Christians are actually in church about 25 times, 20 times a year. Some even less than that. I have lots of friends that really, that Calvary Chapel is their home church, okay? They're Christians, all right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, but Christians do go to church. Can I hear another amen to that, right? But, I mean, this is their home church. They're here 15, 20 times a year. That's it. I mean, wait a second. I mean, the Bible says don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It's, you're isolating yourself. Look, if kids, if they're saying that kids are going to have a very, very difficult time living for Jesus Christ unless they are seeing the counterculture, experiencing it, being encouraged in Christ with other believers who believe the same thing. I mean, look, I say the same for, for adults as well. It's a so-called adult issue. I mean, look, we all need each other. 
We all need to be encouraged in the word, and I'm so proud of you. Great job for being here today. Look, I I like how Timothy Keller put it. He said, some of you are believers. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord, your citizens, but you're not living like citizens. Are you living in fear that somehow God is not going to help you with your problems? You're not living like a citizen. You have the right appeal, you know, access. Are you living in anger because your life has been messed up, angry at people for having done it? Angry at God? Okay, well, you're not living like a citizen. I mean, don't, 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 you don't see the escort God has for you? Some of you are living cowed before problems in your life. And, And you've given up on yourself and You're living like slaves, strangers, foreigners, not like citizens. The main way some of you are not living like citizens is you're just being kind of mindless about your public life. In your private life, you're a Christian. This means on the weekends and the evenings and whenever you get off, but the rest of the time, you don't look any different. Nobody ever looks at you and says, that person looks like they've come down from a higher league. (laughs) Hey, how many of you are proud to be a citizen of heaven? Man, I just, I mean, hey, I didn't ask you, hey, awesome. I, I agree. Awesome. And what a blessing it is. Because every single one of us can say who are believers, man, there was a time. I mean, I can totally relate to the stranger thing. I can totally relate to the isolation thing. And, and by the way, that like bullied sergeant thing that's unseen, you feel like your life is being ordered around. I think we all can relate to that at times. But the good news, there's an alternative, you see. We're citizens. That's monstrous. Look, church family, I want to I wanna encourage you. I'll be praying for you. Go vertical this week. You have access. Remember, you have unique authority. You have the Lord indwelling you. And you are an ambassador of Christ. So listen, you just step on a pedal of obedience. You say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to show compassion in Jesus' name. I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to step on the pedal of obedience. I'm telling you. It's like you have... You have all of heaven there with you, blessing, helping, working through your life. Look, it's more political than you may think. And it comes down to whether one is a citizen of heaven or not. Where do you stand? 